Hello and welcome to Friday Takeaway. Uh, I'm Abigail Summerfield. And I'm Chantelle Morton. Welcome to our podcast, Advancing Black Pathways. This is a meaty, meaty topic. And we are joined for this week's podcast by two phenomenal panellists. Let me introduce them. Where do I start? Cecil Peters, Head of Diversity for Europe, Middle East and Africa, Head of Equity and Inclusion and Advancing Black Pathways at JP Morgan Chase. You look after 35 countries, 48 cities and 29,000 employees. You are really busy growing black representation and celebrating black excellence. And you also won this year's Burberry British Diversity Awards. Welcome, Cecil. Thank you for giving us your time. And our other guest, Yvonne Nagawa, a founding member member of Blackseed, Europe's first venture capitalist funding uh, dedicated to supporting black founders by black founders. Um, Your background is in legal, compliance, working with people like Standard Chartered Bank and Bloomberg. Your mission is to create space for black women to succeed and thrive financially and empowering the next generation of black founded global businesses based in Brixton. Yvonne, welcome. Thank you. Wow, what a, what a lineup, Abby. Yeah, I'm really excited for this one. So guys, welcome. Where do we start? I think this topic is an important topic to talk about in businesses right now. And I think maybe we need some context. Um, where did this start? Cecil, I know you talked earlier about advancing black leaders and then changing that to black pathways. Tell us about that. Yeah, sure. So at JP Morgan Chase, in 2017, uh, we saw a lack of black leadership within the Europe, Middle East and Africa region. And so we created a function called Advancing Black Leaders, which is really focused on bringing more black leaders to the top of the firm, creating more managing directors. In 2019, we pivoted, we had a a much more global holistic strategy. We'd also seen that we were um, challenged by some of the behaviours, let's say, that we saw in the US related to serving all communities, and we weren't serving all communities in the right way. So we created Advancing Black Pathways to serve all communities externally, but also to look at all our talent, not just managing directors and senior talent, but junior talent all the way through the firm. So the 2019, we created Advancing Black Pathways. Advancing Black Leaders became Advancing Black Pathways when I came into the to function in 2021. Yeah, and, and how is that kind of, tell us how that works within one of the biggest banking companies in the world, certainly in America. So to do that, I'd have to explain our diversity, equity and inclusion strategy. So our strategy is based around um, having a set of demographics that we focus on and support. So they are uh, black, Asian, Latin, Hispanic, because we're a US bank, uh, sexual orientation, gender, disability and military and veterans, because in the US, military and veterans are a protected characteristic as well. So we have those seven demographics and we have what we call seven centers of excellence where people are full-time dedicated to serving those communities. That's a job in JP Morgan. In most banks, that's a side of your desk activity, but in our firm, that's a full-time function. We spend uh, a lot of money on serving those communities. And we serve them through four, what we call impact pillars, measurables. Um, you know, you were talking, Abby, previously about, look, how do you measure success? So we look at careers and skills, and that's the, the, 
um, attraction, development and career progression of that talent in those seven demographics. We look at um, business growth and entrepreneurship, which is Yvonne's space, and we'll talk about that in a little while, but it's how do you fund these diverse businesses? How do you create generational wealth by giving people the opportunity to build businesses in their communities? Uh, we talk about um, uh, financial health and literacy. So there are a lot of people, particularly in the US, but also here that are underbanked, i.e. don't have bank accounts, or live paycheck to paycheck. So how do we educate the underrepresented communities that that's the most, that is the most expensive way to live, you know, and you can't, you also then are not creating that long-term sustainable generational wealth. You can't create, get a mortgage. You can't do the things or create assets that you can use to then leverage to do other things with. So it's about how do you educate people around financial health and literacy and then community development. So it's how do we stand up and say, there's excellence in this community. Let's highlight it. Let's make it visible. And that's one of the things I'm really proud of the work we do around celebrating black excellence. So the structure, the structure is if we look at advancing black pathways, it's one of those seven advancing black pathways across those four impact pillars we drive that strategy. So I drive that in Europe, Middle East and Africa. I've got peers in the US that also drive that in, in the US. Amazing. Yvonne, tell us how Black Seed was born. How did that come about? Uh, come, come by. Um, so, 2020, I feel like you would have had to make a very conscious effort to have not witnessed the online execution of George Floyd. That was something that we all experienced, you know, sure. together. At the time, um, one of the co-founders, Carl, he was working on something separate. It was about mobilising underrepresented um, community, but it wasn't racialized. Yeah. His co-founder, Cyril, he had got a um, scholarship to study in the States, in Texas. And as a mixed race chap, he was able to race successfully in Texas. And he came back to the UK um, um, with the same hopes, you know, of being able to raise and scale a business. He had the NHS on the hook as a client, NVIDIA also on the hook as a client. He had pitched over 100 VCs, took part in 10 of the country's top accelerator programs had a tele-diagnostic bit of tech that could detect and triage COVID. So with a batch of a pandemic, it was timely, couldn't raise a fiver. So he was like, okay, he's a numbers guy, crunched the numbers and he was like, I could pitch to a hundred more VCs. I bet it's not gonna work for me. So he reached out to Carl Loco, who's one of the co-founders of Black Seed, knowing that he had a bit of a network and just to colour in Carl's network, he's been invited to every royal wedding the past decade and Richard Branson's godkids that he's grandchildren, I mean, God grandchildren are his godchildren. So he's very well connected. He made a few phone calls to his mates, angel investors, and they were able to see that proposition at 100K. And then um, it was the online execution of George Floyd. So they had a very frank conversation and it's like, okay, we can move the needle on a micro level for the two of us because he would have got sweat equity, but how many more other black founders are trying to raise and not being able to do so? And Cyril's response was every black founder that I've, I've met. So without having a VC bone in our bodies or even having any like, desire to get into this space, Black Seed essentially exists as a response because of that reality. And then I had my own interest in Pathway In, but was working in legal and compliance for Bloomberg. Was also trying to like mobilize socially um, was able to like keep up with my middle-class counterparts at work but coming home to a very working-class family we grew up born and raised in Brixton um, and I just wanted to change that so I got into property investing me and Carl our paths crossed because I had a gripe with him over a building that he was advocating for 
that was being erected in Brixton. And I'm like, I'm trying to get onto the property ladder in here. That's only going to make house prices go even further up. We logged, logged heads and I realised that, you know what, real power is having a seat at the table where the decisions are being made and opposed to just angrily protesting against them. Yeah. So um, I was like, I can help anything you want me to do with Black Sea decks, pitch decks, registering the company. How can I help? And that's how um, I got looped in. Fantastic. Can you tell us what have been some of the challenges from two very different angles? Um, first for Blackseed, what have been the challenges setting this up? I would say um, initially we started at a very, um, it was a pivotal time just after George Floyd. So, I mean, all the corporates had a chorus of commitments of how they want to help. So it was good for us. We were able to successfully raise the first five million within like the first five months. What took us the most part of time was the legals, <laughs> which I would have been familiar with. But we were able to do that. But now we're at a time where we're two, three years post George Floyd and the sorts of winds that were pushing in our direction. Now we're having to use our mouths to, to push. Um, you know, the black agenda has just fallen to the bottom of the um, priority list. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's just trying to get people to commit to the things that they said they would back then. And how are you managing to do that? Have you got any success stories that we could share on, on how you've managed to address Do you know what? I feel like everything comes back down to relationships and, and network. So building those strong relationships, we were quite fortunate in that we got like alpha generating, like top quartile investors. So they were our first backers. And with that sort of um, cast, we're able to then bring in more people. So one person introduces us to another person, to another person, to another person. We're just maintaining those relationships, developing them, nurturing them, growing them. And where do you get the introduction? Sorry to, to really drill into it, but I'm sure there's probably listeners that are thinking, I'm facing the same challenges. How can I do, you know, where you've managed to, to resolve it? One thing that we often say at Black Seed, um, by virtue of like Carl's network, is we've kind of got like acquired nepotism, mm -hmm. which is, is funny. And for us to even just raise five million, when we speak to our US counterparts, they're like, you've only been able to raise five million. I mean, it's not a lot of money in the VC um, space. Yeah. So with all of that network with, you know, being on the friends and family list at Buckingham Palace and, you know, being mates with the brands and we were only able to raise this amount. So a lot of it is from the contacts that he initially had, but then also putting ourselves in spaces where we can meet new people. Yeah. I remember reading about you, that's how I knew about Black Seed on the news, saying that you wanted to make Brixton the kind of tech centre of the UK. Um, and that's how I kind of knew about what you were doing. Um, so in terms of like getting your, getting the word out, what you're doing and what you're kind of trying to really challenge uh, or champion, how, how, what have been some of the success stories that you've kind of um, had just maybe the, just in the last couple of months? Oh, um, definitely um, reaching first close. So being able to like start deploying money to founders because a lot of it was conversations that we're having, but because of all the legal stuff, we can actually write the checks. But allies, you know, yeah. allyship. I can't stress the importance of allyship enough. Yeah. What we're trying to embark on is, what we are embarking on, sorry, is a huge endeavour and it's not something that we can do on our, on our own. Like, it requires other people in the room. I remember um, working for different corporates and being part of, like, the women's, like, um, employee resource groups or the black employee resource groups. And when you have events, only women show up. And when you have events, only black people show up and it's like you're preaching to the choir. But when you've got a mix, like a diverse group of people in the room who are also like equal stakeholders in like seeing things move, then you can start to see change. Mm.
interesting point. I think that's really important, really important. And I think also the evolution of businesses and the way that they should be set up should be in, set up in the same way. Yeah. Cecil, what's been some of the challenges along your journey? I'm sorry, I'm just hooked on the active allyship comment that you made. I think it's so important. I didn't want to skip past it. And there are challenges. I don't come to the, some of the challenges. got loads. But I think um, the work that we both do doesn't happen in isolation, just, do, just within the communities that we serve. Because our communities are underrepresented and under-resourced. So we need active allies. You need events like this where yourself and Abigail have said, come use our platform. Let's talk about the challenges in the community. So really grateful that you both opened up for us to do this and have this conversation. It's vital. It's business, isn't it? It's business and it's people. It's affecting and everyone. Also, it's an honour to have you here as well. Yeah. That's nice. Okay, <laughs> right. So look, loads of challenges, loads of challenges. So I think the, th the first thing is your, your, there is a timeline. You can draw a very clear, distinct timeline. George Floyd's murder, organisation stood up and said, let's do more. Fortunately, my organisation had already, with 2017 we'd begun, 2019 we'd scaled, we knew what we were trying to do, we had a strategy. Come George Floyd's murder, we stepped up again. Uh, and I was in a, a, a good position. I worked in technology um, around that time, but I was also doing a lot of stuff with Advancing Black Pathways in the US, although I had a technology role. So I was able to build out a database of 60,000 black and Latin Hispanic suppliers in the US. Because one of the things we always say is we should spend more money with diverse suppliers. And then people say, well, we can't find them. We don't know where to find them. So I built, built a database out, got it populated, got my boss to spend $100,000. Imagine that seed funding, 100000 He said, 100000 there you go, buy a data feed. Sourced that data feed and we put that into the environment at JP Morgan. And then we connected it to our credit card processing system so that if you wanted as an employee to purchase something with the supplier, um, you could buy it and you could pay them immediately rather than have them invoice you, take three months to get paid and have that whole slow process, yeah. which kills uh, businesses. It's, it's, the, it's the lack of cash flow that kills a business. Yeah. So did that. I also um, uh, built out uh, or worked with our AI and artificial intelligence and machine learning firm uh, function to look at whether there's bias in our lending. Mm. And, and as you'd expect, the AI works exactly as it's intended to work. There is no bias in the AI. Maybe the policies behind it have bias, because the policies say, if you have this credit score, if you have these assets, then you can borrow. But the underrepresented communities are the ones that don't necessarily have the credit score. They don't necessarily have the assets. So the, there's bias is in the hysterical, his, historical um, uh, actions and activities that lead to people having lower credit scores. So you've got to change that. So you've got to take, take your, ask your business how do we change how do we look at our policies differently so that we can be much more equitable to the people that don't have so i was doing things like that side of my desk before they invited me in to to run advancing black pathways then when i came in uh, i was fortunate because you know I, was, I had had a fairly good career so i wasn't dependent on the bank to pay me a salary and and worried about losing the salary if i said the wrong thing so then i could be fearless and in this space, you have to be fearless. You have to say exactly what you see in a diplomatic way. And you have to know that um, there's always space to learn and improve and be a little bit more um, uh, collaborative. Yeah. But you have to know what you're going to go after. And knowing banking, as I do, it's very much data driven. So you have to say, this is what the data tells us. We have to do something different. I looked at black representation in the UK and said, 
it's nowhere near where it should be considering it's the UK, it's a very multicultural country. 60% of our people are in London and London is 14% black. We are not 14% black in our offices in London. What are we gonna do about it? Yeah. So they enabled me to do that. Um, and uh, I went after that challenge and I got the senior leadership to sign up to it. And then I went and executed a, a plan against it. Really happy, we've grown black representation by 120% in two years. So, and that's hundreds and hundreds of people that are now in the firm that weren't there before. The firm looks very different, in, 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 definitely in the UK. So, but everything has a challenge, right? And we're always wary of what we call the blacklash. And you saw it in the US after Obama's presidency, they got Trump, okay? With, yeah, and you got, and, you, and you, the Trump play is a long play. So it's the Supreme Court, it's all the judges, it's the way that they're manipulating the future. Um, and that was the backlash. It's the, okay, we're not gonna let this happen again. We're gonna make sure we put barriers in the way. And you see that in different areas as well. So we gotta be, acknowledge that that's a, that's a potential and work around it and work knowing that that's gonna come up. It's like a game of chess. You have to be ready for the next move and the move after that. And then just to pick up on the word fearless, um, how, what is it that you can say to yourself or you have told yourself in the past that's helped you become fearless, that maybe it might help somebody who's listening? Um, I think in my younger self, um, I trusted the opinions of people that didn't have my best interest at heart. And long term that hurt me. So what I realise as I've got older and I've got a grey beard, so is that actually you back yourself, you trust yourself, your intentions are pure and good. You know what's right and wrong. You go after those things. And you go after them, but you've got data to back you up. You know you're coming from the right place. You might not have all the words. You might not have the network yet, but you go out and you find those things and you build those things. But uh, effectively, my younger self would have maybe not have, 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 um, have been influenced by people that were not necessarily working in my own best interests. And I've just cut that out. I'm secure in myself. I know what right and wrong. I, I'm going to go after the things that need to be gone after, and I'll say it. Also, the other thing is having kids. If anybody's got kids, you know that your life becomes about them and the next generation more than yourself. So, if you have that, then that's the other thing that makes you think about how do I make this world better for the future generations, not not just for me. Can I add something? Of course. I think, like to the point that you mentioned about advice, that's something that I've become so conscious of, even when I give it because I can speak to people who are coming up um, after me, but they're not coming up in the same terrain that I was. They might not have the same nuances or even the same luck that I might have had in certain instances. So it's not always directly applicable. And one thing that we find is that we often say that black founders are over-mentored and underfunded and people are so quick to give advice and mentorship, which is, is additive, but it doesn't cost them anything, one. And two, like, can your advice beat the biases that other people have? Can the advice that you give somebody else over, like, allow them to benefit from the inherent um, privileges that you might have as somebody who isn't black? Can you advise somebody beyond that? Yeah. So one thing that we often say is that the capital, like beyond just giving advice, actually give the money that would enable them to do what they need to do, yeah. Yvonne, I think you mentioned uh, a quote earlier uh, before we went on air, the burden of representation. 
Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, I feel like every black person will recall the um, 2020, I think it was 2020, Euro finals. It was the game against, the, <laughs> it was Italy versus England. And they had, I think it was Marcus Rashford and Bukaya Saya yeah. do that penalty shootout. Yeah. And the black community as a whole, we sat there like holding our breaths. And not because it was just these indi um, individual boys who were playing, but we felt as though they were representing the entire community and their success and failings would also then reflect on us. So the day after that, we went back into the world and we were like apprehending whether we would have the same backlashes or whether it would be the backlash essentially and whether it's like, oh, that's why we don't let them in or that's why we don't include them or that's why we don't trust them. And like, if it was their um, white male counterparts, yes, they would have got backlash, but it wouldn't have been because of their race. So there's that often fear of like, okay, representation is amazing. It's great that you're in the room, but when you're in the room, you stand to represent everybody that looks like you. And I'm a black woman, but not every black woman can relate to me. Like there is nuance, the black experience isn't a monolith. So I do recall um, quite recently, there was a founder within like the ecosystem who had to shut down their operations recently. And we got a ton of messages in to Black Seed of people saying, oh, do you worry about how people will now view black founders because of this situation? And I'm like, Topshop closed down. Um, Wilkinson closed down. None of those conversations were racialized. It was just a business that, that couldn't go beyond that point. But whenever it is a black founder or a black founded business that fails, it's like oh, all black people have failed. And it's a lot to carry as one individual. Yeah. Tell us about some success stories now about, um, like Cecil, you said how um, your firm now looks very different. Um, tell us some of the impact, the, the positive impact that that has, you can you can now name and and put on the table and go. We've got to keep doing more of this. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the black experience within my firm, we've got uh, fifty percent more managing directors than we had. So you know, I think we've got more black managing directors in the city than any other firm, yeah. um, which is it wasn't the case when I came into that role. Um, I think um, you sense the inclusion, you sense. Uh, for anybody that's worked in a corporate space where there's two black people tend not to talk to each other yeah. because you kind of don't want people to think that you're scheming and plotting against the, mas the masses, right? But people can now, I know you can laugh, but it's true, right? People know yeah. this is true. But in my firm, you, you can see people going out and hanging out and having lunch together. In lunch, in, uh, in the canteen the other day we had, it was Africa Day, we had Afrobeats playing and they were playing, serving jollof rice and, and planting and, and a peanut stew. So, so the culture, like even the ladies in the canteen now, I've got them doing Caribbean food, I've got them doing this and that. And then in the head kitchen, which is upstairs on the 31st floor of the building, if I have a guest, they'll serve Caribbean food, which they never did before. So just culturally, they're much more they understand that they have to diversify and they understand that there's a, there is an audience for something different. I think, um, yeah, it's de definitely having more than one in the space, in the room, is helpful. You have safety in numbers. And uh, I think um, people feel a lot better about being in that organisation than they did before. And that's a good organisation. The senior CEO, Jamie Diamond, is very intentional about being wanting to be diverse and, and inclusive. Uh, and, and, but there's a big gap between the senior, senior person and what's happening down on the floor. So you have to be able to, you have to be very intentional about driving that change. And I think we've done that, not just for black, but actually for all the demographics as well. 
I'm just thinking about the success of that. Um, and if somebody else is listening to, to this podcast and they would like to champion that within their company, what, is there any pointers that you would give them? Yeah, I think um, you've got to, you, you have to measure what matters. And that's a very often said thing, measure what matters. But if you really want to be more diverse, what's your baseline? What do you look like today? And where do you want to get to? And then you can program to that to see if you can get there. And if you're failing, you could change your program and do something different. It doesn't happen by accident. Uh, and it doesn't happen by going out and hiring all the black people in one firm and bringing them in. Because if you haven't changed the culture, if you haven't changed the underlying functions of the business to make it more inclusive and equitable, those people will leave just as quickly as they came in. So you have to be really thinking about, um, is it equitable? Can people join? Is it, is it accessible? Or do you only go to Ox Oxford and Cambridge? Um, and then even within Oxford and Cambridge, it's the very elite houses within those. Do you, is that what you do? Or do you say, actually, let's open this up to places where other people can come in? Because even the smartest kids, if you're um, from an underrepresented community, can't get to Oxford and Cambridge, right? It's just the reality. So, um, so yeah, do you reach out to other places to see where, where, where people can come into the firm? Um, once they're in, what are you doing to make them feel welcome? You know, have you connected them with the community? We've got uh, employee resource groups or networks that people can connect to. We have people to buddy people. We have conversations about difficult topics and make it easy for people to come and say, black women to talk about their hair, for example, and just have a conversation and make it open. But people come and they understand and explore and we teach people to apologize for screwing up because people will say the wrong thing, right? And, and it's, you know, people invariably, you know, they call them microaggressions or, or, or unconscious bias, right? But people mess up. Yeah. So what do you do when somebody messes up? Well, you could, you could hold it in or we could say, let's teach them how to apologize with sincerity. Therefore, you don't have to hold it. And they've got a way around their clumsiness yeah. and they've learned something. So we try to teach people to apologize with sincerity. And then you can hopefully build some bridges and move forward. And that creates a, a better sense of uh, community. So there's lots of things we, we, we're trying to do. I don't know that we're different. I think because of the size of the organisation, we're 300,000 people, we can do things at scale and we can try things. Yeah. Yvonne, what are some of the future um, bright lights for you, for Black Seed? Definitely um, the founders and actually being able to like invest in them. Mm -hmm. So again, because we are so like pivoted around financial enablement, like we didn't want to come and just give another like talk or do another workshop or so we exist as a fund and a community so we're a 10 million pound fund and with the community we like convene the black founder community for events and workshops mm. but our flagship event is um lion's den so carl locker his son's called lion so it's a spin-off from dragon's den but cute <laughs> yeah and um but we award the winner ten thousand pounds and typically like when you have those sorts of pitch competitions it's like oh you can get these amazon vouchers or you know yeah. but we're like no give them the money yeah so we've been able to work with really good partners our latest one being at West and we're always looking to bring on more corporate um, partners but yeah so we were able to award the winner £10,000 so the winner of the first competition that we had with the Brixton Startup Weekend in Lansden he took that £10,000 was able to create like a six-figure monthly recurring revenue like situation for himself just off that um, initial £10,000 he's been consistent we've seen him through and now we're looking at him to be like one of the first companies that we back and it just shows like give them a little bit and they will do a lot. Like yeah. black founders are scrappy, they're frugal. They're used to like thriving and I mean, operating in situations where they, there is lack. Yeah. Black founders 
tend to have their full-time job alongside the business that they're raising because I think this whole idea of other people's money is a bit of a foreign concept. So yeah, like they're able to get through. So even with this like economic like downturn, this is not new for black founders. It's always an economic downturn. So yeah, just seeing them actually thrive, yeah, that's been like a joy for me. Amazing. And is there anything you're looking for at the moment? Is mm. there any type of business that you would really like to work with? Because I'm just thinking about this opportunity for somebody to connect with you. Yeah, so we um, are back in tech and tech enabled um, businesses, but we're industry agnostic because we've already doubled down on um, the black lens. So any industry um, from deep tech to health tech, fintech, um, yeah, we're, we're open to have conversations. And I don't want to finish this podcast, um, but actually just to kind of try and round up and say, ask, and ask both of you, what does the future hold for advancing black pathways, for working with allies, for working with advocacy? What what does the future look like for businesses? You're looking at me, so you want me to answer that question first? Okay. I'll go for it. So I think it's clear we need allyship and advocacy. That's clear. That's the number one thing. We can't, we can't, people that face racism can't solve racism. You need allies and advocates to, to drive that change. And so um, the importance then of building relationships, finding um, areas of commonality, so that you can grow. So, you know, if you've got a, a successful business, everybody's going to want to want to be part of that business, mm -hmm. Yvonne, because it makes sense, right? So you have to find those areas of commonality and growth to work together on. Um, I think um, I, just in general, when I think about what we do and how we do it, mm -hmm. it's keeping momentum going yeah. when the the energy in, has moved to other conversations, right? And the energy has. Yeah. So, you know, we are, sometimes in my firm, I, I talk about, um, attaching yourself to the next shiny thing, mm. right? Because when COP26 came across, everybody was talking about COP26. Nobody was talking about racial agendas. Yeah. You know, as we find other things are happening, people are talking about them and, and they've lost interest in some of the other agendas that we're trying to push. So you have to attach yourself and say, look, actually, problems with the environment and the climate crisis yeah. are impacting the communities that are most underrepresented the most. So we have to keep supporting those communities and attaching your agenda to those agendas. And it's, that's how you create the momentum or maintain the momentum um, that you need to see. And it's unfortunate that we have to do that, but we yeah. do, yeah. Yvonne. I think um, for myself, there's an exercise that I'd um, um, done whilst it was during lockdown. So um, obviously it was the whole Black Lives Matter movement, but then I took time to acknowledge what my privileges were. Hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm female, but I was, born in the UK, in London. So I've got a lot more access to opportunities than someone that's maybe even just up north. Um, the fact that I'm heterosexual, that's also a privilege. The fact that I'm able-bodied, that is a privilege. Mm -hmm. So looking at those intersections, so there are black founders within like the group who are even more like disadvantaged. Mm -hmm. And one thing that's naturally a passion for me is just um, enablement for, for black women, because there's often that thing of like the double tax not just within VC. I mean, some of the stats within VC are ridiculous. So where it's 0.24% of VC funding going towards black women, I mean, black people, 0.024 goes towards black women. So it's more likely for someone, a black woman to win the lottery on a Saturday night than to receive venture capital funding. So imagine meeting somebody who doesn't work, doesn't save, 
and they buy lottery tickets every day in the hopes that they will win and that's their financial plan yeah. they are less ridiculous for doing that, that than for a black woman to decide i'm going to start up a set a business up mm. and try and scale it to like a an uber or an airbnb she is more delusional than that person mm. and i feel like that's that's wild mm. so with that intersection of being black and female i'm always thinking about ways that we can move the needle so i've got ideas mm. and i just want to do something so yeah that's that's definitely where i want to put my energy can I just push you up both on that now on a personal note to round this up properly is what what is next for you personally not black seed but you personally yeah. so it would be that yeah. it would definitely be like just advancing e economic enablement and just financial empowerment for um, women but particularly black women yeah Brilliant. and Cecil um, I think what we do, what I've been able to do in the last three years has been really powerful. Mm. I'd like to scale it and take it elsewhere and do do that more and more yeah. I've learned so much from you both um, and it's been a genuine honour to listen to you and to learn and give us that opportunity. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Guys, um, uh, please get in touch with us, Friday Takeaway, um, all the channels. If you want to be part of this conversation, we'd love to hear more from you. Um, Cecil and Yvonne, thank you so much for joining us. It's been brilliant. Thank you, guys. <laughs>